Last week, my wife had to drive one of our vehicles, and as I realized that we were having issues with the battery on that car, and so I, I said to her, I said, this battery might die when you're out. I said, do you know how to, you know, do you know how to jump the car? And she said, well, I know you take the cables and you put these red and black things underneath the hood and you hook them to something. I said, well, we probably should go over this. And um, so I went through this little mini lesson of how to jump the car, and fortunately the car made it. It made it. We didn't, she didn't end up having to jump it um, during that time. But as I, what I realized is that recharging charging things is part of my life. And uh, from jumping a car occasionally to charging up a power tool on a regular basis uh, to on a daily basis multiple times charging my phone and my computer. And when I'm not charging them, I'm testing batteries to see if these batteries are good enough to use in something. I realize I am charging something all the time, every day. Every day I am. The truth is, we don't just charge batteries, we charge ourselves as well. Did you know that you are a rechargeable battery? Your body is a rechargeable battery. It's not designed to go on ad nauseum, but it needs to be recharged. And you do that every day as you drain the energy that you have, and then you rest, and then you eat, and you do a variety of activities, and these things recharges, recharge your battery. But do you know the answer to this question? What recharges your batteries? What recharges you as a person. Let me give you a hint. It can't involve your phone. can't involve your phone. That doesn't recharge you. And it usually won't involve your computer except on a limited basis. But what recharges your battery and gives you life? What recharges your battery and gives you life? A couple years ago, I had to do part of a professional development activity where I had to go through all the activities of my week Everything that I did, and I had to either give it a green light, which is a kind of a thumbs up in that I enjoyed doing it, I looked forward to it, I was excited and energized when I was done, or a red light, which is a thumbs down. It, I got it done, but I wasn't excited about it. it kind of, I felt glad to get it done, but I wasn't looking forward to doing it again. And so out of that exercise, I realized there's some things that give me life. There's some things that give me life. And I'm going to mention a few of these. Some of them might trigger some things for you. One of those that gives me life is rest. Rest. I love taking naps. I love taking naps. So for those of you that have ever been in my office, the couch in there is not just for you to sit on. You know, it gets good use during the week occasionally, you know. Um, I love to take a nap and feel rejuvenated and energized and ready to face whatever the new challenge is that's coming my way. Another thing I love to do is I love to read. I'm a very avid reader. Right now I'm reading a book, Tipping Point, by Malcolm Gladwell, and I'm reading Steve Jobs' biography about him. So I love to read. It energizes me when I get lost in a good book. I also love recreation. I love to be active. I love to ride. I love to walk. I love to run and hike. Anything active or physical. And the last thing I love is that rejuvenates me is relationships. I love being with people. Um, but I do have to give a caveat because not every person re-energizes me or energizes you. You realize there's people that drain you. You know that, right? You know, there's people that drain you. I'm not going to tell you if you energize me or drain me. Sorry, I'm not going to tell you that. But I realize that I drain some of, oh no, here comes John. He's going to want to sit and talk about my life for the next hour, you know. And uh, so I recognize that. But there are certain people that give us life. We're like, wow, I look forward to that. Time just flew by. And other people, you're like, oh, you know, how much longer, you know. And, oh, I'm glad I got through that. hope I don't have to do that again. But those are the things that I have found give me life, and they recharge my batteries. And one of the things that I'm going to encourage you to do this week is to identify what are a couple of things that give you life. What are the couple of things that give you life? 
Now, some of you are in the season where you're raising children and you're heavily involved in the parenting season and you're like, John, I have no life. I just go through my life and I'm exhausted. The battery's drained by the end of the day and then I just hit repeat and every day. It's the same thing. We're going to talk about that as well. Um, but this morning we're going to talk about this whole idea of what gives you life. And we're going to do that by looking at a story Jesus told. We've been in a series entitled Simply Jesus and it's taken from the book of Mark. The book of Mark, if you have a Bible, if you want to pull that out and turn to that, um, there's some Bibles in the rack. Uh, you can turn to page 813 on the Bibles in the rack, or you can follow along in your wireless device. The book of Mark is a fast-paced, complex story about the life of Jesus, in which Mark records the eyewitness account of Peter. Peter was one of Jesus' followers, one of his closest followers, and Mark records for us the things that Peter saw. And he writes all these things down and he records them. And he records the major events and he wants us to get this short, quick, concise grasp of who Jesus is. Who Jesus is. Last week, Roddy reminded us that Jesus has the capacity and he has the power to heal whatever is going on in your life. He wants to and he is able to heal whatever is going on in your life. And I hope you had some time this week to sit and reflect on that. Jesus is entering a new phase of his life here on this earth. And this new phase of his life here on this earth is he's starting to encounter religious leaders who are questioning the way that he does things, who are, who are um, trying to understand what is it that Jesus is saying. Because Jesus was not just offering Judaism 2.0. That's not what Jesus was offering. He was offering a whole new operating system, a whole new way of looking at life, a whole new way of looking at faith, totally different than what they had understood before. He goes on to talk about this in chapter 2 when he says this, no one sews a patch of unshrunken cloth on an old garment. You don't take a new piece of cloth and put it on an old garment because what's going to happen? The new will pull away from the old, making the tear even worse. And you don't pour new wine into old wineskins, other the wine will burst through the skins. The wine and the wineskins will be ruined. No, you pour new wine into new wineskins. What Jesus was saying, he's saying, I'm not just giving you a little way, a way to add something to your existing faith. He said, I'm giving you a whole new way of looking at faith. You see, Jesus is saying, I'm not asking just to add another slice to your life. He said, life is full, but you tell me I've got to add Jesus, and so I've got to add, okay, I've got to carve out another little slice, and I've got something to do on Sunday morning, and instead of grocery shopping and catch up on the bills and all that, okay, now I've got to cut that slice out and fit that in. That's kind of the way we think in our Western mind. We've got to add another slice to fit Jesus in. But Jesus is saying, that's not what I'm suggesting. I'm not suggesting add another slice. I want a totally different paradigm of looking at this. I want you to put Jesus at the center of your life, and I want him to bleed into every single part of your life, him to bleed into your work, him to bleed into what you do at church, him to bleed into your relationships with your family, him to bleed into whatever you do in your community. It's totally different. And the religious leaders could not understand what this was like. And so Jesus goes on to explain what this is like using two separate stories. In Mark, he says this, Mark 2, verse 23, says, One Sabbath, Jesus was going to the grain fields, and his disciples walked along, they began to pick some heads of grain. And that does not seem uh, very, uh, like there's a problem with that. It seems very innocuous. It would be like picking a piece of fruit off of a tree um, to eat. And the Pharisees said to him, look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? 
Now, to understand this, to make some sense out of this, we need a little bit of backstory. The backstory goes all the way back to the Ten Commandments they were given. There's one of the commandments that said this, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. It was a day that God said, separate from all the other nations who just work seven days a week, He said, My people, I want them to take one day, set that day aside, and make it different from every other day. And so what the Pharisees did is they added some rules to this. They said, you can pick a piece of fruit off a tree, but if you have to peel it, eh, uh-uh. no, no. You can pick a peanut off of, off of a plant, but you can't crack it open. Uh-uh. You can suck on it, but you can't crack it open. You know? They said this in the book of Deuteronomy. If you enter a gra- neighbor's grain field, you can pick the kernels, but you can't take a sickle and cut them down. Uh-uh. Not allowed to do that. They had 31 rules of things that you were not allowed to do on the Sabbath. Because you see, the Pharisees were the gotcha police. The gotcha police. They would watch you and watch what you were doing, and as soon as you stepped over the line, gotcha, they would call you on the carpet, condemn you for what you did, and there would be a price that you would have to pay for that. Jesus said, guys, you're missing the point. You're missing the point. And he goes back to a story in the Old Testament. He says, let me tell you this story. And he tells them the story of David. David, before he became king in the land of Israel, one of the well-known kings, he was being hunted by the current king, Saul. Saul felt threatened by David, and so Saul is hunting David. David's on the run. David's living, hiding in caves, hiding in mountain passes, hiding anywhere he can. He's got a group of men following him who are also a group of outcasts, but they kind of protected David. They understood who he was supposed to be, and they said, we're going to protect you and take care of you. So they traveled with him. So one time they traveled... And they came past a place of worship, and they were, the guys were starving. They hadn't found any food. And so David went into the priest. He said, do you have anything for me? And the priest said, I've got something for you. You see, in the place of worship, there was several different pieces of furniture in the place of worship. One of the pieces of furniture was a table. It was called the table of showbread. On this table, there were 12 loaves of bread. Any, have an, any idea what those 12 loaves of bread represented? The 12, what do you think? Twelve tribes of Israel, right. And so what the priest would do, what the law required, is the priest every week would bake 12 more loaves of bread. These were unleavened bread, so they wouldn't go bad in the, humidity, the, the, the heat and humidity of the Middle East. They would put 12 out there, and then the priest would take these 12, and that's what the priest would live off of all week long. That's what they would do. And so these guys came by, they're starving. And that was the law. Nobody got to nibble on the bread you know, no little kid, I have a piece. No, you can't have a piece of bread. It's only for the priest. You know, that's what parents would say, you know. But the law was the bread was only for the priest. But David came by with his guys. They're starving. He says to the priest, any chance you got something we can eat? And he's like, yeah, I've got some bread. Here, take the bread. And so Jesus picks up that story and look what he says uh, there at the end of chapter two. He says, have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? In the days of Abathar, the high priest, he entered the house of God ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful only for the priest to eat, and he also gave some to his companions. See, what Jesus was trying to teach the religious leaders, this new way of following God, is this. Following Jesus is not about the rules. It's about relationship. Following Jesus is not about the rules. It's about a relationship. And what Jesus was trying to illustrate to them, in this case, the relationship that mattered most was the life of these men. And so when, the life is, when life is in jeopardy, we set the rules aside and we give life. 
You know, Mark wanted his readers to face something new that Jesus was going through. And that following him is not about the rules, it's about relationship. Now, for many of us, we grew up in um, faith environments where there were a lot of rules. There were a lot of rules. And what happened over time, rules that were well intended to try to keep us from doing things that would be harmful to us, they became the guidelines for how we followed God and followed Jesus. And what we were taught over time is if you don't follow the rules, this is what's going to happen to you. And if you break one of the rules, this is where you will end up. And it's a slippery slope where your life will be far away from God if you violate one of those rules. And so what we are taught is that you live by the rules and then you're okay with God. But Jesus came and presented a very different message. He said, it's not about the rules, it's about the relationship. He goes on in verse 27 to say this. He said, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. What came first, the creation of man or the law about the Sabbath? Any idea? Creation of man. That came first. The Sabbath followed, not the other way around. The Sabbath wasn't given, and then men created to live out the Sabbath. Let me give you an illustration about where rules are not as important as relationships. Um, In my neighborhood, we have speed limits, and the speed limit in my neighborhood is 25 miles an hour. Um, As you can imagine, there's some people that um, have cars that sit low to the ground that drive much faster than 25 miles an hour through our neighborhood, but... um, that's the speed limit. And so you're supposed to drive 25 anytime you're in that neighborhood. But if I'm driving through my neighborhood and I see a ball bouncing into the street and I see a child, should I keep driving 25 miles an hour or should I slow down? Which one? Slow down, right. I should not follow that rule. I should slow down. Why? Because the relationship, because that child's life is more important than me keeping the rules. Um, it's, it's just like if you had a friend who uh, uh, was, was not feeling well, and he called you, and he said, hey, I'm, something's going on, I'm not feeling well, come, 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 come pick me up, and, and you went and picked him up, and when you picked him up, you realized that he was having a heart attack, and that individual said, we need to get to the hospital fast. Do you want him to follow the speed limit, or do you want him to drive as fast as he possibly can to get you to the hospital? Which do you want? Drive as fast as you can to get you to the hospital, right? And I'm glad one of the guys here did that, because that happened to me a couple years ago. You know, What's more important, the rules or the relationship, the rules, or the relationship. And what Jesus was trying to help them see, what Jesus was trying to help them understand, is the Sabbath was not made for man. It was made for man, not man made for the Sabbath. It's not about the rules, it's about the relationships. The relationships. You know, I was trying to imagine the disciples after they ate this, some of them were like, we shouldn't eat this. You know we shouldn't eat this. Why shouldn't? Well, you know we're going to get in trouble. Somebody's going to see us. The gotcha police are at every corner. Someone's going to see us. And then afterwards, that guy, see, I knew I told you we could eat it. Jesus is going to call them out on this. He always does it to them. We're fine. We're fine. But he then goes on to add another story and put it right next to this story to illustrate how significant this was. In chapter 3, verse 1, Jesus went into the synagogue, which was their place of worship, and there was a man with a shriveled hand who was there. There were spies everywhere, and they were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. So they watched him closely to see what? To see if he would heal? No, they knew he could heal. They had seen him open the eyes of the blind man. They had seen him 
raise up a man who was paralyzed that we looked at last week. They, could see, they saw him heal someone who had leprosy, a disease that ostracized you from everybody else. They knew he could heal. The issue was not whether or not he could heal. The issue was would he break the rules and heal on the Sabbath? That was the question that they were looking at. And Jesus does something very bold. Very bold. Jesus doesn't go into someone's house. Jesus doesn't say to the guy, hey, can you come over here off to the side? What does Jesus do? He said to the man with a shriveled hand, would you, would you stand up here in front of everyone? So I need someone to sit up. Hey, Greg, would you come on up here and help me out with this? So I'm going to ask Greg if he would come up here, and he's going to be my man with a shriveled hand. He doesn't have a shriveled hand, by the way, just in case you were wondering. So, um, but, um, so Greg's going to sit here. So Greg's the guy that got brought up here, and so what I want you to do, Greg, is I want you to watch out there. Anybody that's dozing off, you just keep your eyes on them, and afterwards you tap on the shoulder and say, John's watching you. you know, just, that's what you tell them after. I'm just kidding. So, he was, they thought I was serious. <laughs> Uh, so Jesus brought him up on the stage. He said, I want, you, I want you up in front of everybody. I want you front and center. I don't want this hidden. I don't want this off to the side. And then Jesus puts a question to him. He says, which is lawful on the Sabbath? To do good or evil? To save a life or to kill it? And they knew they were trapped. Because if they said do good, Jesus would say, okay, I'm going to heal him. They said save a life. He's like, I'm going to give this guy his life back. I'm going to take a hand that wasn't usable, that was somehow shriveled and deformed. He had to live life with just one hand, and now he will have both. I'm going to give him back his life. And they said, well, if we say he's evil, they would have been attacked. How is helping a crippled man evil? And if they say to kill, to take a life, no one would believe them since Jesus was going to give his life back. But they were silent they were silent. And look at Jesus' response in the next verse. He looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts. The anger I get, the anger I get. You say, why was Jesus angry at these people? I think Jesus was angry at these people because of what they were doing to other people. Because of the bondage that they were putting them in. The enslavement they were putting them in around these rules. He was angry because they were taking their form of faith that wasn't God's form of faith at all and putting it on top of people and making them live a life in which they would never experience true life. And I have to admit that when I encounter people that it's all about the rules, I feel a lot of anger. I feel a lot of anger at what they're doing and the way they're putting other people in that box making it all about the rules. But Jesus was also deeply distressed, deeply distressed at the stubborn hearts. I thought, why is Jesus distressed at these people? The anger I get because of what they're doing to other people, but I think the distress that Jesus was feeling was not just because of their stubbornness, but I think their distress was also because he saw what this was doing to them. He saw how it entrapped them. He saw how it put them in a place where they could not experience the life that he longed for them to live. A life that was not about rules, but was about relationships. I think Jesus was deeply distressed because he realized that these people really did not have life. They really did not have life. They wanted rules. They wanted to keep themselves safe. They wanted to keep everyone around them safe. That's what the rules are designed for. They're designed to keep you safe. But what happens over time is these rules don't keep us safe. They keep us from life. That's what they keep us from. And so what does Jesus do? Jesus says, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out. And his hand was restored. Now, I can't restore Greg's hand. and So he's got it. his wife's a doctor. She'll take good care of him. Thanks, Greg. So 
Um, but Jesus brought someone up center stage. He said, this is so important. This is such a big deal. We're not going to do this in somebody's house. We're gonna, I'm not going to do this down by the creek side. We're going to do this right in front of everybody. Because he says, what you've got to understand is you've got to understand that following me, that a relationship with me is not about rules. It's about a relationship. And that's what the Sabbath was supposed to be about. The Sabbath was supposed to be an event that would happen every single day in which the demands of life, the struggles of life, the futility of life, the hardships of life were set aside. And suddenly, in this one window of time, we were able to be given back life to us. We were restored so that life would come back to us once again. Restoring something that was broken so it could be reestablished to the way it was designed to work. And that's what Jesus did for this man. He confronted the religious leaders about their rules. At the same time, he said, I'm going to heal this guy, not just to violate the Sabbath, but so you get a glimpse of what this day is supposed to be about. It's about recreating something in you. That's what the Sabbath is supposed to be about. And that's what they missed. That's what they couldn't see because they were stuck on living by the rules. And when we are stuck in living by the rules and not about a relationship, something is missed, something is lost, something is set aside. Because Jesus, when he came to this earth, he says, it's not about the rules. He doesn't say, this is how everyone will know that you're a follower of me if you keep the rules. That's not what Jesus said, was it? He said, this is how everyone will know that you're one of my disciples if you do what? If you love one another. And loving is harder than keeping the rules. You see, when you keep the rules, you just check the box. I came to church, check. I served in my ministry, check. I did my devotions today, check. You keep the rules. But your heart doesn't have to be in it. And when Jesus says, this is about loving others, this is about loving someone who doesn't love you. This is about loving your enemies. This is about loving those people that don't treat you well. There's no rules. Jesus says, I want you to walk in the Spirit, and I want you to love one another. There's no rules to follow. And Jesus says, I want you to do this day after day after day after day. You see how this is totally different? This is not just Judaism 2.0, just adding a slice of Jesus. This is a totally different way of looking at life and faith and relationships. The passage ends in somewhat of an odd way. Look at verse 6. I don't have it up on the screen, but I'll read it to you. It says, Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. And while that seems like kind of an innocuous statement, there's something happening under the radar here. You see, the Pharisees were the religious leaders. They were the traditionalists. They were the rule keepers. They were the rule followers. They kept people's morality in check. The Herodians, um, they were supporters of Herod. They were the nastiest of the corrupt kings who ruled Israel, representing Roman occupying power in its system. In any country the Romans conquered, they set up rulers, and they brought in the culture of the Greeks, the Greek philosophy, the Greek approach to sex and the body, the Greek approach to truth. And they put this emphasis on living this way. And so you had these two groups that normally were completely opposed to one another. The ones that kept track of the morality and the one that kept track of the belief system and, and the political system. They normally were opposed to each other and they've joined forces against Jesus. And you see, when you choose to live a life 
that's not about just adding Jesus to a, as a slice to your life, but making him the center of your life, you are going to confront the forces in this world that have joined together that oppose everything that God is about. You're going to fight against religious communities and religious people who make it about the rules and say, this is the rules, and if you don't follow the rules, there's something wrong with you, there's something sinful in you, and we're going to keep, we're going to keep this distance and space from you. You're going to confront that. And if you decide, I'm not going to live according to the way everybody expects me to live, I'm going to choose to put Jesus at the center of my life, and I'm going to be about my family with Jesus being at the center, and the way I raise my kids, and their involvement in sports, and my participation in the community and the workplace, and Jesus at the center of that, you're going to confront a culture, and a way of life, and a way of thinking, and a way of parenting. And you're not going to fit. You're not going to fit. And Jesus gives us a little glimpse of what this is like. And we're going to see this throughout the story of Jesus over these next few weeks. And even if you choose something as simple as saying, I'm going to set aside one day, 24 hours of one day, where I'm going to stop doing all the other stuff that I do, and this is going to be a part of my life where I do the things that recreate, that renew, that recharge, that refocus me on what truly matters in life, you're going to confront both of those systems in your world. Both of those systems. And so Jesus is inviting you into a way of living life, a way of loving others, a way of relating to people that will, come, will fly in the face of anything that you know. And the way that we live our life. You know, God's intent with the Sabbath was not to set a bunch of rules on top of people. His intent with the Sabbath was to say, this is a gift. This is a gift that's unlike any other day. This is a gift that will bring you back to life, that will recharge you, that will allow your heart to be full of life and joy and love again. For those that have attended here at CCC, you've heard us talk about this a lot. We talk about what does it look like for us to carve out 24 hours and live those 24 hours different than the other six days of our week. And it starts by looking at the things you enjoy, by making it a day of things that I want to do, not things that I have to do. Things that I want to do, not things that I have to do. That's what that day should be about. And it should be about creating things that are new, creating a great meal, creating music, creating something with art and design, creating by being outside, slowing down to smell the roses, um, and recreating things in your life that get lost. Um, my dog doesn't really know what day is the Sabbath and what day isn't when I take her for walks, which I do most days. But on the Sabbath day, she gets to stop and sniff absolutely as much as she wants to. Um, the other day, she doesn't get the snop, stop and sniff. Come on, let's go. Come on, come on, come on, come on. I have a beagle, so she stops every 20 seconds, 10 seconds, 5 seconds, you know, and sniffs. But that's what that day is like. It's a day where you do the things that you want to do, and you experience the life and the joy of all of those things that God blesses you with. And so as you move into this week, I want to give you an opportunity. I want to invite you to put some of these things into practice, not because they're a set of rules, not because they're a set of I have to, but they're a set of I want to. And so some of the ways that you can do that, oops, sorry, I missed a couple there. I want you to identify three things, three to four things that give you life this week. 
What are three to four things that give you life? I want you to write those things down. You say, well, that would be nice to do those things, but you don't understand. I've got kids and they take over life. They rule the life. I have no life, you know, is what, what parents sometimes say. Well, I want you to do this. I want you to ask them, each person in your family, what's one or two things they enjoy? What are one or two things they enjoy that give them life? Put them in a bucket and each, time, each, each Sabbath, once a week, you draw one or two of those out and you do them together as a family. I say, John, I don't know how I could do this. You're getting a glimpse of how radical this is. 24 hours? I don't, I don't have that much time. This is pretty radical, isn't it? This is not something that everybody does. This is a totally different way of relating, a totally different way of following Jesus. And so maybe you start with an afternoon. Maybe it's this afternoon, and you simply go and do something that you enjoy. When was the last time you spent time doing something you enjoy and you saw it as a gift that God was giving to you as a way to renew, restore, recharge your heart and your life and your faith? I'm going to ask you if you bow your heads with me as we close. And, and as we do, if as I've been talking, there's some things that God's brought to mind that give you life. Can you just thank him for those? Maybe it's some relationships that you know you're going to be with those people this week or next week, and you're just, God, I'm really thankful for those people. They just give me so much life. Maybe your life is so jam-packed to the edges that you don't do anything you enjoy. It's all obligation. It's all duty. It's all have to. And you just need to say, God, what have I forgotten that I enjoy? What have I forgotten that I enjoy? And maybe for you this morning, your life has become more about rules and less about relationship. And you've, you're, if you're really honest, you're one of the gotcha police. And God's saying, that's not how I want you to live life. I want you to live life to its fullest and um, I want you to make it about loving me and about loving other people. God, you know each one of our hearts. You know each one of our stories. Um, you know those of us that are longing to be freed from this weight of rules that has been placed upon us, that even though we don't as adults live under that, we can live with the guilt that we perpetually feel from it. God, you know those of us that just long to have our batteries recharged and we come here on Sundays hoping that at least it will give me a little bit of what I need to move forward this next week. God, you know each one of our stories, you know each one of our struggles, you know, each one of our wrestlings. And uh, God, we offer those to you this morning. And we ask that um, you would draw us to you and help us to live life not about rules, but about a relationship with you, the God of the heavens, and with people that we love. In your name we pray. Amen.